When Jesus says, come follow me, it's an invitation to a relationship. Not just knowing about him, but knowing him. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Luke. I get to serve as one of the ministers here. Uh, Open your Bibles with me this morning to Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. And uh, as you turn there, I want you to dream with me for a minute. Uh, Because I have a dream for our community. You wanna hear it? I want Hendricks County, Indiana to be the hardest place in the world to go to hell from. And I mean that, I'm dead serious. I want Hendricks County, Indiana to be the hardest place in the world to go to hell from. Don't you? I mean, don't you wanna see such a work of God in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, at our schools, at our workplaces, amongst our sister churches, because we can't do it ourselves. Don't you wanna see God work to such a degree? Don't you wanna see the Holy Spirit break out in a movement of renewal and revival? Don't you wanna see the gospel take root? Don't you wanna see Jesus lifted up so high that he draws all men to himself? Don't you wanna see his people filled with his power to such a degree that the kingdom of heaven comes here in Hendricks County? God's will is done here as it is in heaven to such a degree that this becomes the hardest place in the world to go to hell from. Man, don't you want to see that? Yeah, I do. Man, I'll give my life to that. I don't know about you, but sometimes I I can get so caught up in the phenomenon of 21st century American Christianity. I can get so head down, blinders on, consumed with my day-to-day and the normal rhythms of my life of faith that sometimes I just need to be reminded that God can do more. That God is really big. I need to be reminded sometimes that God can do more than just building bigger churches with better buildings. And God can do more than just some nice inspiring music and a Sunday morning Bible pep talk. And God can do more than just giving you a Christianized version of the American dream with a growing 401k and successful kids and a nice career. God can do so much more than that. In fact, the Bible says that God is actually in the business of bringing heaven to earth. And if that's what God is doing in the world, don't you wanna be a part of it? Yeah, I do. We're in this journey right now as a church through the life of Jesus as recorded by this guy named Mark in the Bible. And for the first three weeks, we've just been asking two core questions together. Number one, who is this man? And number two, what is this gospel? It's just a big fancy church word that means good news. And so we answer that first question in week one. Mark answers it in Mark chapter one, verse one. Who is this man? Mark says the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. Who is this man? That means Jesus is the one true king. And what is the good news then? the gospel that Jesus came to proclaim. Jesus answered that question for us in Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15, when Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. We've spent the first three weeks answering those two questions. And now this week, we're actually gonna get to see Jesus embark on that mission of starting to make that happen, of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Our text for the day, it's just five verses long. We're only gonna read it one time together. I'm gonna read the words in white. I want you to read out loud the words in yellow. Mark chapter one, verse 16 through 20. Here we go. Um, As Jesus walked, 
beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So at once, they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now let's break this down. Right there at the beginning, verse 16, we see Jesus is walking. He's moving. Jesus is going somewhere. He's up to something. And it says specifically, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. Now that's a little bit surprising. We have a picture here of the Sea of Galilee. Here's why this is surprising. Galilee is kind of like the Kentucky of Israel, if you know what I mean. You get where I'm going? Okay. I hope I don't have to say too much. Kentuckians, forgive me. Okay. Uh, Like, nice people if you're into rednecks. Okay. Not where you'd want to go if you're going to start a movement to change the world. Okay, if you're going to change the world, you're going to go to like Washington, D.C. or New York City, like a big power place, right? But no, Jesus goes to Kentucky, okay? Yeah, okay, come on right now. Uh, (laughs) And he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. Now, I've been there, I've seen it, it's gorgeous, but it ain't a sea, all right? Remember, we're in Kentucky, it's a lake. It's a normal lake, okay? It's good for fishing. Fishing was like a major industry there. It's it's still a major industry there today. And so Jesus is walking along the shore. In verse 16, he says he sees two fishermen, Simon and Andrew. And he says, hey, come, come follow me. Now pause for a second. Imagine you're at your job, okay? Put yourself in your mental headspace. You're at your job on a Tuesday afternoon. The door swings open. 30-year-old man walks into the room with piercing eyes, looks right at you, says you. Come follow me what would you do? (laughs) That's what Jesus does here. He walks up, there's actually four fishermen, two sets of brothers, Simon and Andrew and James and John. He goes up to both of them, says the same thing, come follow me. And verse 18 says that Simon and Andrew at once, they left their nets and they followed him. Verse 20 says James and John, they left their father in the boat and they went to follow Jesus. You see, when Jesus calls you to follow him, He's first gonna ask you to leave something behind. Don't don't mistake that. When Jesus asks you to follow him first, he's gonna ask you to leave something behind. And, And here's why. If you are going to be a follower of Jesus, then he's not gonna settle for just being one of your priorities. He doesn't wanna just be one of the most important things in your life. He wants to be it. He wants you all in. That's why Jesus would go on to say later in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus would say, this is, this is crazy, catch this. He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. It's pretty strong, right? Seems a little harsh. The reason that Jesus demands total allegiance is that he knows that what he has to offer you is better than anything that you might be holding on to. And yet you can't receive your hand, you can't open your hand to receive what Jesus wants to give you if you're still holding on to other things. And so if you are a follower of Jesus or if you're even considering becoming a follower of Jesus, he's gonna ask you to let go of some stuff. So then the question that you have to ask is, if Jesus really is gonna ask me to leave some stuff behind, to get out of the boat, to leave my father in the boat, to leave the nets behind, to come and follow him, 
then the natural question is, is the reward worth the risk? We have to just weigh it out. Is the reward worth the risk? Because leaving something behind to follow Jesus is only crazy if the reward is not worth the risk. I uh, read a story this week about a 13-year-old girl in New York City who's being hailed for her bravery after a recent attempted robbery. Uh, Do you wanna know what the source of the dispute was? Some McDonald's chicken McNuggets, right? So story is, this little girl goes, she gets herself her order of McDonald's chicken McNuggets and she's walking around on a Tuesday evening in Harlem and one of her classmates comes up to her, asks for one of her chicken nugs and the girl says no. And so when the girl refuses to share her chicken McNuggets with this young man, he follows her into a subway station, pulls out a gun and points it at her head. Now put yourself in that girl's shoes for a second. If this is you, what do you do? Give him the nuggets, right? Like it ain't even real meat, sis. You know? <laughs> It ain't worth the fight, girl. Like, survive another day, right? But no, witnesses say this girl, she slaps the gun away. She says, leave me alone. And she walks away and enjoys the rest of her day eating her chicken McNuggets in peace. (laughs) Now, we would look at this and we think, this is crazy. (laughs) Like, the reward is not worth the risk, right? Now, if we're talking about Chick-fil-A nuggets, it's a different conversation. Can I get an amen this morning? All right. Okay, good. If Jesus is gonna ask you to do something crazy, like leaving some stuff behind to come and follow him, we have to ask, is the reward worth the risk? Will you trust that the goodness that Jesus has in store for you is worth you letting go of whatever you need to let go of in order to receive it and follow him? In my own life, I think back to 2017 when my wife, Rebecca, and I, we came here to this crazy place called Plainfield, Indiana. We're like, this sounds really exciting. Plainfield, Indiana. Can't wait. Going to be awesome. And, and we come here for our first visit, and, and we, we stayed with Steve and Diana. We went to church here on a Sunday morning, and I remember we got in the car out there in that parking lot, and we drove nine hours back to Joplin, Missouri, and Rebecca cried the whole way home because <laughs> um, we were scared to leave our home and to leave our families. But God called us here. And as part of that, we had to wrestle with the reality that, okay, if God is calling us here, that means we're gonna be raising our kids 500 miles away from their grandparents. And listen, that is a tiny, minuscule little sacrifice compared to what a lot of people give up to follow Jesus, but it felt big to us. I know that's a really small thing compared to what a lot of you have had to give up to follow Jesus. But for us, we had to wrestle with the reality of, okay, like this means that we're gonna be raising our kids where they're, they're not gonna be able to, to go hang out at their grandparents' house and spend the night sometimes. And um, we love it here. I, I hope that unless God calls us elsewhere, which I don't think he's going to, I wanna die here. This is home, okay? We're here. But there's days we miss being back. There's days we miss being close to family. There's days we wish we could be a part of whatever's going on with all them back there. And, and yet the text that I have clung to more than any other over the last few years is in Mark chapter 10, where Peter speaks up and he's like, hey Jesus, look at everything we gave up to follow you. And Jesus says this, he says, truly I tell you, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, not just rewards in the next life, he says, rewards in this life too. Is the reward worth the risk? And for us, we found the answer is yeah like beyond what we ever could have imagined, that yeah, our, our, our family may be 500 miles west of here and they may not get to go over to their grandparents' house very often, but we have been given a family. And you all, in a very real way, not just in a trite sense, you all are our family. 
And our kids often get to go to some of your houses more than they get to go to your grandparents' houses. And, and they think of you as their aunts and uncles, this weird dysfunctional, like, and this is a gift. And the reward has been worth the risk a hundred times over. That's a small little thing. But the, with Jesus, listen, whatever he's calling you to, whatever he might be asking you to give up today, I can promise the reward is worth the risk. So let's go back here to Mark chapter one. Let's look at this text specifically. If Jesus is gonna call you to leave something behind in order to follow him, what rewards is he offering you? Three specific things from this text. Here's the first one. When Jesus says, come follow me, it's an invitation to relationship. It's an invitation to relationship. Um, in fact, just a couple of chapters later, when Jesus has all 12 of his disciples together, in Mark chapter three, verse 14, it says this. It says that he, Jesus, appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. In other words, if the disciples walked up and they're like, hey, Jesus, why'd you pick us? Like, why did you interrupt our lives? Why did you upset the whole apple cart? Why did you disrupt our careers? Why did you have us leave our homes and our families? Why did you disrupt our entire existence? And Jesus would say, so that you could be with me. I love how unashamed Jesus is here about how much he wants relationship. In fact, later Jesus would tell his disciples, I don't just want you to be my servants. I call you my friends. I want you to be with me. You see, when Jesus says to you, come follow me, more than anything else, it is not an invitation to a program or an institution. It's not an invitation to a creed or a set of beliefs. It's not even an invitation to a book or to a place. It's an invitation to a person. He's inviting you to himself. And, and that's good news. Here's why that's good news for you, because you know this. The church is messed up, right? <laughs> like, I love this church. I think this church is awesome. I believe in what God is doing here. This is home. We're not a perfect church, guys. We drop the ball all the time, I promise you. And, and, and listen, if you're, if you're new here and we have not offended you yet, <laughs> stick around, okay? <laughs> promise, we will. If I have not let you down yet, give me a year or two, okay? Be patient with me. I will get there, I promise. Listen, and, and all our other, you're not gonna find a perfect church out there. Don't go. If you find a perfect church and you go there, you're gonna mess it up. We're imperfect people. And listen, I'm not trying to make light of this because I know some of you have been deeply, deeply wounded. But the church is a messy place. And, and we are gonna work hard at this church every single week to rightly handle the word of truth, to think well about God together. But even so, I'm confident we've got some kinks in our theology that'll need to be ironed out. That's why I'm thankful that this invitation from Jesus to come follow me is not primarily an invitation to a church or to a set of doctrines. It is an invitation first and foremost to Jesus himself and then the church and the community and the convictions all flow out of that. So that means that no matter how messed up the church is, and no matter how bad Christians have hurt you, the invitation from Jesus still stands and he will never let you down. In fact, we've been talking over the last few weeks about how heaven is closer than you think, right? That the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, has come near. And Jesus says that actually life in the kingdom of heaven, eternal life, in the here and now consists of one thing. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying and he says, now this is eternal life. Wait, Jesus, what is eternal life? Now, when we think of eternal life, I think of like life forever in heaven later on after I die, right? But Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they know you, 
the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is an invitation to relationship. Jesus says life in the kingdom of heaven, life up there, down here, is knowing Jesus being with him today. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Paul prays in Ephesians chapter three for the church that they would know this love that surpasses all knowledge and that would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He wants you to know Jesus, to be with him. It's an invitation to relationship. One of the greatest um, theologians of history was a guy named Thomas Aquinas. He wrote mountains and mountains of books about God hundreds of years ago, kind of changed the theological landscape of history, just a masterful scholar. When all of a sudden, toward the end of his life, Thomas Aquinas just stopped writing one day, dropped it all cold turkey, and and his secretary started complaining that he had these piles of work that were left unfinished, And, and Aquinas replied this. He said, Brother Reginald, when I was at prayer a few months ago, I experienced something of the reality of Jesus Christ. That day I lost all appetite for writing. In fact, all I've ever written about Christ seems now to me to be like straw. I want to know Jesus like that. Now, you can't know God without knowing about God. Knowing about God is really important. That's why theology is important. That's why we're going to teach you to think true thoughts about God. But we also know that knowing about God is not enough, right? That there's a difference between knowing by acquaintance and knowing by experience. For example, I know Disney World by acquaintance. I've heard about Disney World, I've priced the tickets, I've looked at flights, I've seen the movies, told the stories, read the books, I've seen all the pictures y'all posted from your vacations, but listen, I've never actually been to Disney World. I never plan to go to Disney World, okay? If you wanna spend your money and your vacation time in purgatory, you go right ahead, that ain't for me, it ain't my thing, okay? I only know Disney World by acquaintance, I know about it. But if you wanna talk about Yosemite National Park, Man, I, I know Yosemite National Park. I've been there multiple times. I've, I've felt the mist of the waterfalls on my face. I've rafted the rivers. I've hiked the trails. I've camped out under the stars and heard, I've heard the animals at night. I've gotten to hike up Half Tome and feel the wind and the wild from the peak. I know Yosemite National Park by experience. And the invitation for you is to know God like that, to experience him, to be with him. When Jesus says, come follow me, it's an invitation to a relationship. Not just knowing about him, but knowing him. That's what we want for you. When Jesus says, come follow me, it's an invitation to relationship. Here's the second thing. It's also an invitation to transformation. To transformation. And I want you to know, this is our heartbeat as a church. Transformation to help you grow. Um, We're not in this thing to build a big church, okay? We're in this thing to build big people. We want you to grow into the fullness of Christ. We want you to grow in his image, to become mature and fully alive in him. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. We're building big people and whatever God decides to do with the church along the way is up to him. We wanna grow. We wanna be transformed into the image of Christ. When Jesus walks up on the lake shore to those four fishermen and says, come follow me, he's saying, let me make you into something new. Let's just break down that phrase, come follow me. First thing Jesus says is he says, come. That means I'm gonna bring you somewhere where you aren't right now. I'm gonna take you somewhere you haven't been before. Jesus says to you, come follow me. That means you're not the one calling the shots more. He says, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. 
It's actually not a great translation. In, in the Greek, he literally says, I will make you become fishers of men. I'm not just teaching you how to do something, Jesus says. I'm going to transform you into something that you aren't right now. And I don't know about you, but thinking about that kind of transformation, I like that. <laughs> I like the idea of being transformed into something that I'm not right now because the me that I am right now is often discouraged and often distracted and easily frustrated and too easily satisfied by a shallow spirituality. The me that I am right now is often incomplete and overwhelmed and quickly fading and frazzled and defaulting to my own wisdom and strength rather than his. Who I am right now is often afraid and often insecure. I sometimes live a life of jumbled priorities and dizzying disappointment. Who I am right now is often so filled with worry and with shame that transformation sounds awesome. We all like the idea of transformation, don't we? We've all tried harder to be better. We wanna be different. And we all kind of naturally gravitate when we wanna be different toward the path of human effort, right? Just trying harder to be better. The problem with that is if you always do what you've always done, then you'll always get what you've always got, you know? How's your New Year's resolutions going? <laughs> A couple of you like hyper-disciplined people are like, they're going great, and all the rest of us hate you, okay? Um, <laughs> Trying harder is not the path of transformation. Never has been, never will be. Now listen, the, the fact that you want to grow and to be different is a really good thing. And, and some of you are coming in here right now and you're just thinking, man, I don't think transformation's even possible. I've been stuck in this rut for so long, trying harder to get out of it and I'm just spinning my wheels and I'm exhausted and I don't know how to get out. But listen, Jesus is offering you something better. When Jesus gives you this invitation to be with him, it's also an invitation to be like him. The path of transformation is being with God and with his people. If you see somebody, um, I hope you have some of those people in your life that you look at them and they're, like, they are transformed. They're different than they were before. Like they are growing in Christ. The character of Jesus is on display in their life. They are, they are fully alive and completely satisfied in him. When you see somebody who's been transformed like that, they always have gotten there with two key elements time and the presence of God. Time in the presence of God. Just like when you see somebody who's really tan, they've gotten that really great tan with two key elements, right? Time in the sun or like a tanning bed, okay? But the, the difference is that you can't spray on real transformation. It doesn't work, right? You just end up looking orange, okay? It does, doesn't happen. Time in the presence of God. The Bible says this over and over again. The more you are with Jesus, the more you will be like him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter three, he says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, that as you are with him, you become like him. And on the day when he returns and we are finally fully with him, then we will be finally fully like him. First John chapter three says that we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I can't wait for that day. And so until that day, we wanna be with him as much as we can. This is why we encourage you to spend time hearing from God in his word, to worship him with his people, to listen to his voice through his Holy Spirit, to serve him in generosity, to get to know him in prayer. Because as we are with him, we are made to be like him. And I just wanna encourage you and remind you, like, this actually happens. 
that no matter how stuck or discouraged you might feel right now, transformation is not a myth and it is available for you. Maybe you've been discouraged like I have sometime when you've seen those statistics that say that Christians just live like everybody else and we've got as much junk in our lives as they do. But actually, research shows that's really not quite true. Um, that if you break it down by, by what people actually do more than what they say, like people who spend time with Jesus in spiritual disciplines, people who are regularly involved in Christian community, research shows this about their lives. It says that people who are regularly involved in Christian community have less depression, lower suicide rates, less substance abuse, and a lower divorce rate, along with significantly greater levels of social support, happy children, civic engagement, and overall life satisfaction. It goes on. In fact, church-going Christian couples are more likely to report that they are satisfied with their sex life than any other subgroup in the country, contrary to popular belief. Church-going Christians have the lowest abuse rate of women than any other group in the nation. Christians adopt babies into their family at more than twice the rate of non-Christians. Christians are significantly more likely than any other group to donate their time and money to charity. Like, this actually happens. Lo and behold, when you're with Jesus, he changes people. When Jesus says, come follow me, it's an invitation to relationship that leads to transformation. Here's the third thing. When Jesus says, come follow me, it's an invitation to mission, to mission. God has a mission for your life. When Jesus says, hey, come follow me, he says, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. God's desire is for every person in our city to enter his kingdom. That's his mission, and we are his plan. There's an author named Christopher Wright who says that God's church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. I kinda like that. Can you imagine, what if, what if this was us? Like, what if we actually lived each moment with Jesus, we were transformed to be like him, and we were sent on mission by him to such a great degree that Hendricks County, Indiana became the hardest place in the world to go to hell from. Can I just bear my soul with you here for a minute? Um, I've loved what God is doing in our church over the last few years. Over the last few years, man, it's been a fun season in ministry. I believe where the Lord is taking us, but also over the last three years, really since COVID, the waters of that baptistry have been a lot more still than we've wanted them to be. And we wanna see that begin to change. We're so thankful for the people who have given their lives to Jesus over the last few years. We rejoice with them. That's the best part of what we get to do. But we want more. Jesus says in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, he says, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. What that means is every time somebody gives their life to Jesus by being made new in baptism, heaven throws a party. And I don't know about you, but I don't want heaven to be silent about what is happening here. I want heaven to be rocking. I want that place to be loud week in and week out. I don't want the waters of that baptistry to get still. Could you just dream with me for a minute? Imagine, imagine which of your friends and your family and your coworkers and your neighbors and your children and your grandchildren, God might wanna make new right there in those waters. What if Hendricks County became the hardest place in the world to go to hell from? That's a big dream, isn't it? And if I told you today, hey, that's your job, go make it happen. What would you do? You might say, okay, all right, let's do this. We need to go get a good like neighborhood evangelism strategy. Gonna need some massive funding, big pile of money. We gotta go get ourselves some sponsors, hire some marketers, get a cool brand, rent some billboards, build a bigger building, print some flyers, have some cool events, get a well-trained team of a whole lot of volunteers who have a well-rehearsed speech they can go around and give to people with the sales pitch. Well, not quite. Jesus' mission was even bigger. His dream was even bigger. He dreamed for more than just one county. He wanted the whole world. And how did he start that mission? He went to Kentucky and he recruited some fishermen. 
Mark chapter three says he appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And he does send them out and they start to preach that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And by the time just a few years have passed, eventually that good news has spread through this little ragtag band of fishermen so that even outside of Israel, in Acts chapter 17, in this city called Thessalonica, these Christians show up in Thessalonica and the whole city is in an uproar. And here's what the city says. They're shouting in verses six and seven. It says, these men who've turned the world upside down. I mean, don't you want them to say that about us? These men who've turned the world upside down have come here also, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. The gospel of the kingdom was taking root across the world through some backwoods Kentucky fishermen. How in the world? Acts chapter four says that two of those fishermen, Peter and John, they were in Jerusalem, and they were proclaiming the good news of Jesus before the very same people who just killed Jesus a few weeks earlier. And those people saw this. In verse 13, it says, they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were normal dudes, unschooled ordinary men, and they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Just some people who said, yeah, I'll I'll accept the invitation. I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna be with him and I'm gonna be like him and I'm gonna be sent out by him. Unschooled, ordinary people like you and me. And from that, the church has grown up and to the right for 20 centuries. And this is the story that you and I get to be a part of. And listen, I, I know this. I know this whole idea of you living on mission, of being with Jesus and transformed to be like him, being sent out from here as a fisher of men to share the story of what Jesus has done in your life and of what he's doing in the world, that's a scary thought. And I know some of you right now are thinking that I'm talking to everybody except you, that this applies not to you, right? It's hard. And if that's you, I want you to know that God can do more. He can do more in your life and he can do more in this church if we'll just follow him. We're talking about fishing today, right? So, um, Uh, Our family likes to go fishing a lot. When the weather's nice, we'll often get up on a Saturday morning and the boys will go dig up some worms in the backyard and we'll go drown them in the pond behind our house. And um, the the, the boys are kind of spoiled because they they like to go fishing because to this day, every single time they've ever gone fishing, they've they've always caught something. And we've been a whole bunch of times, but it's still kind of this magical experience for them because they haven't had to suffer yet, okay? Okay. and so one, one day last summer, um, we were out there fishing and Rebecca and I kind of had a weak parenting moment when our three-year-old Calvin caught this little crappie and uh, he asked if he could keep it. And, and now normally um, we, we do keep the fish, we'll fillet them and fry them up and eat them and all that, but this guy was a little too small to eat. And so when he was asking to keep it, he was asking to like keep it, like as a pet. And so for the last six or seven months, there's been this crappie living in the fish tank in my room, in my bedroom. <laughs> And he looked really small in the pond, but he looks, he looks like Jaws in this, in this fish tank, right? And he's like killed off all the other fish in the tank. It was a very traumatizing experience for everybody. We learned about death and the circle of life. But this little, like, this little fish like swims around in that little tank. He's got these big eyes. He never sleeps. He stares at me day and night, every single day. And he appears to be happy. Like he seems like he's doing okay. And you know, but... That fish wasn't made for the tank. He's made for the pond. And he may look content there in his little filtered water with his plastic plants and blue rocks and pellet food twice a day, but he wasn't made for the tank. And I see a whole lot of Christians living like that little crappie, but listen, you weren't made for this tank, okay? 
It's nice and safe and comfortable. Those, those seats feel good, don't they? You were made to be sent out with Jesus into the wild for something much, much bigger. And if you've never tasted that, then today the invitation is for you to go and become a fisher of men. Because when God looks at Plainfield Christian Church, I think he cares a whole lot less about our seating capacity and a whole lot more about our sending capacity. And so my invitation for you today is really simple. Come follow Jesus and be with him, be transformed to be like him and be sent on mission. So if you've never become a follower of Jesus, listen, the prayer team's gonna be around the edges of the room with their green lanyards on throughout the rest of the service and I'd encourage you to go talk to them, we're ready. And even, even if you are a follower of Jesus, but you're saying, man, listen, like, He's asking me to let go of some stuff. He's asking me to leave some stuff behind to really follow him and I need to do that. Man, we would lo- we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to walk with you. We're gonna be there. Um, and all of you today, you're not gonna be dismissed at the end of the service. You're gonna be sent. What if, what if we went out from here like fishermen on the water looking for opportunities to share the story of what Jesus has done in our lives and what he could do again? What if, what if we went out from here and we just prayed and we said, Lord, would you... Would you make up there, come down here? God, would you send me one person I could love today? Would you send me one person I can serve today? Would you send me somebody I could, I could give to or I could encourage today? Would you send me one person that I could share my story with of what you've done in my life and what you are doing in the world? And I know that's an intimidating thing, but, but man, what if we did that and what if the world saw through that that we were people who'd been with Jesus? that we were so filled with his joy and his generosity and his love and his encouragement and his gentleness and his power that they took note that the kingdom of heaven is coming here. What if when people moved to Hendricks County, they just like bumped into so many Jesus people that they're like, there's something going on in this place. And I know that this is scary and it means you're gonna have to leave some things behind and you might be making excuses in your head right now. You might be saying, I don't even know somebody who doesn't love Jesus. Like, I'm an, I'm an introvert. I'm so busy right now. I'm not a good conversationalist. Like, I, I don't know my Bible that well. What, what if they ask me a question that I can't answer? How in the world am I supposed to help somebody else when my own life is still such a mess? I don't know what to say. And to every single one of those excuses, Jesus is giving you an invitation to relationship and transformation and mission, saying, come follow me. The reward is worth the risk. So here's what we're gonna do. We remember this story every single week together by taking communion. That it's through Jesus' death and resurrection that he has extended this invitation to us to join him, to be with him, to be like him, and to go on mission alongside him. So I'm gonna give you a moment to just be silent here for a minute and to let your heart catch up with your body. And then I'm gonna read a text over you. I want you to just close your eyes and listen to what Jesus said on the last night of his life about this moment that we receive together every week and then you'll have a few more moments of silence to take the bread on your own and then I'll pray and we'll receive the cup Paul says for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your body nailed to the cross for the blood that was spilled so that we could receive forgiveness of our sins, your Holy Spirit living in us, the promise of eternal life forever with you that also takes place in the here and now, the promise that we get to know you in relationship, that we get to be like you, that you're transforming us and that we get to go alongside you in your mission to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. God, my prayer is that we would be people who are so filled with your Holy Spirit, so in love with your son, so compelled by what you have done in our lives and what you're doing in the world, that when people would encounter us, they would be able to tell that we've been with you. We love you. It's in your name, Jesus, that all God's people said, amen. This is the blood of Christ. Let's stand and worship our King together. Yeah.